You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the August 25th episode of the Bacon Bets podcast. I come to you this week, friends, as a champion. If you listened to last week's episode, you know that I spent the past weekend golfing in Prince Edward Island for a little tournament that myself and my friends do called the East Coast Cup. My team, Team Blue, ended up getting the win 7-3 was the final score. We got off to a slow start. We were down 1.5 to 0.5 after the first day. Uh, big comeback on Saturday, won four, uh, all four matches, 4-0 sweep on Saturday, and then finish it off on Sunday going 2-1-1. One, and one. So final score, 7-3. I come to you as a champion this week. Please refer to me as Champion Ian from now on. But as far as for today's episode of the Bacon Bets podcast, I'm going to start off with my best bets for August 25th. I have three bets in, for Major League Baseball and then one bet in the National Hockey League. And then we're going to move on to the BMW Championship. For the PGA Tour, the second round of the FedEx Cup playoffs, and then we're going to finish off uh, with some UFC talk. And then in the second half of the podcast, I'm going to be letting you all know why I hate Boston sports teams. Yes, the reasoning might be a little bit obvious as a Maple Leafs and a Falcons fan, but I get into that a little bit more and why I hate Boston sports teams so much. Now this is, I'm recording this on Monday night. This is the last day of my vacation. I took a four-day week, uh, four-day weekend uh, to go to the golf tournament. I slept almost all day today, so I'm recording this pretty late. This is a kind of a recovery day. I got home late last night, uh, and I've also had a few beer tonight because I can't go cold turkey after drinking like an absolute animal this weekend. So I've had a couple beer before recording this while I was doing my research for the show. But I get back to work tomorrow. I'm back in the office tomorrow. This is my last vacation weekend before NFL season. Because yes, NFL season is almost here. Uh, Two weeks from this Thursday will be opening night. So next week's episode, I'm going to start getting into some NFL stuff. I think I'm going to give out my best bets for the season. Super Bowl pick, uh, props, things like that. Uh, But that'll be for next week's show. 
Like I said, for today's show, August 25th, best bets, BMW Championship, UFC, and then why I hate Boston sports teams. So let's get into it. But right before we do, don't forget to subscribe to the show on whatever platform it is that you're listening to this. Tell your friends about it. Leave a review. Rate and review the show if you can. That will help us out. And then, of course, there is the option to donate to the show. Shout out to everyone who has so far. I appreciate that. You can, don't, uh, you can donate to the show through the link that's in the description. Or you can also go to the podcast website, which I believe is baconbets.buzzsprout.com. Uh, the easiest way to get there is just to click the link in my Twitter bio. I'm sure all of you follow me on Twitter. If you don't already, give me a follow on Twitter at IanMac, O-S-I-A-I-N-M-A-C-O-S. So that's enough for housekeeping. Let's get into today's show, the August 25th episode of the Bacon Bets podcast. Let's go. More bacon than the pan can handle. 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 Okay, we're going to start with my best bets for the August 25th slate of games. I'm going to start in the MLB, but right before I do start with my picks, I got to bring it up. I'm going to be honest, as I'm very transparent. This is a transparent podcast. I went 0-4 with my nightly best bets last week on the last week's episode. That was rough. That was a stinger. I mean, I feel like an idiot recording a podcast. I gave all my best bets for that night, and then I went 0-4. It was two MLB, uh, two NHL picks. They all lost. What I'll say about that, don't chirp bets if they lose. Chirp the reasoning for the bets. I think I had pretty sound reasoning last week. I remember I was on the A's because Frankie Montas was pitching. Uh, that was one of the reasons why I was on was on him. He was like he had like a two-point-something ERA heading into that game against the Diamondbacks. And then he allowed six runs in the first inning, and they just obviously never recovered. So uh, if you could point to me a reason or a statistic that was going to show that Frankie Montas was going to give six earned runs in the first inning against the Diamondbacks last Tuesday, I'd love to see that stat. I'm pretty sure it was Frankie Montas. Uh, But yeah, I mean, no real excuse. That's sports betting for you. You're going to win some nights, you're going to lose some nights. Some nights you're going to sweep, some nights you're going to get reverse swept. It happens both ways. Uh, But I really hope, and I think, that won't happen again with tonight's bets. I'm not going to make any excuses, like I said. It happened. It is what it is. If you'd like to fade me because I went to 0-4 last week, I don't blame you. But regardless, here are my picks for August 25th this week. I'm going to start with an AL Central matchup. I'm looking at the Minnesota Twins against the Cleveland Indians. I'm going to go on the total. I'm going to bet on the total. I'm going to go under 8. It's right at that. Uh, even number of eight there's no hook at least the number I got it at uh, which of course I will always give the disclaimer I'm recording this on Monday night so the odds may be a little bit different than what uh, you guys are seeing on Tuesday by the time you're listening to this Uh, nothing I can do about that so I got it at under eight minus 115 Rich Hill is getting the start for the twins old man Rich Hill he's obviously a lefty 4.7 ERA 1.304 whip this season uh, I'm a little bit worried depending on an under. I mean, Rich Hill, when he pitches, he's an extremely good pitcher. But, I mean, he just gets hurt nonstop. He's he's an old man. That's why I call him Old Man Hill. He's probably going to get a blister maybe six pitches in, in uh, into the game and then get pulled. But we'll see. 
Uh, Rich Hill gets a start for the Twins. Shane Bieber gets the start for the Indians, who is he the best pitcher so far this season? Starting pitcher, at least. I mean, he's got to be, right? 1.11 ERA, 1.75 FIP, 0.762 WHIP. He has been insane. Now, am I cursing him? Because, I mean, I was I was basically jerking Frankie Montas off last week in this podcast. And then, like I said, he gave up six runs in the first inning. So, I might be cursing Shane Bieber here by betting on uh, an under in an Indians game when he's starting. But... I can't foresee that happening. He's been pitching unreal this year. So I like that under eight. Indians are 28th in batting average and last in OPS versus lefties. Of course, Rich Hill is a left-handed pitcher. Indians bullpen also uh, one of the best bullpens in the majors right now. Uh, Bullpen ERA of 2.73. Twins bullpen is actually pretty good as well. Uh, Their bullpen ERA is 3.44, which is good for seventh in the majors. So two good starting pitchers as long as Rich Hill stays healthy in this game. And who knows if he does. Both have very good bullpens. Uh, Indians do not hit well against lefties. Rich Hill is a lefty. And also, I mean, I'm I'm not making this bet because of this. I'm not a big trends guy. uh, But an interesting uh, number here for you guys, for anyone who is a trends guy. The under is 18-8-1 so far this season in Cleveland Indians games. Uh, This is ahead of Monday night. I haven't, are they even playing today? I'm so behind on sports because I was gone all week and I barely watched anything. Oh, so right now they're playing the Twins. It's 3-2 in the top of the ninth. So um, it's going to be so the under after tonight, unless we see a lot of runs here late in the game, it's going to be 19-8-1 heading into tomorrow's game. So the Indians are under machine. So that's my first best bet for August 25th. Twins and Indians under 8. I got it at minus 115 at Bovada. My second bet in Major League Baseball, they screwed me last week. Uh, I bet against them, so I'm going to bet on them this week. I'm going to take the Diamondbacks. I'm going to take them in the first five innings against the Colorado Rockies. So just first five. Now, at Bovada, as of recording this, they didn't have the first five odds. The full game odds was minus 105, so I assume it's somewhere around there. Might be a, uh, The odds might be a little bit higher, so maybe at worst, minus 115. I mean, at the worst price, is going to be like minus 120. Uh, but whatever it is, I'm going to take Diamondbacks in the first five innings. So Jermaine uh, Marquez gets a start for the Rockies. Right-handed pitcher, 4.38 ERA, 3.11 whip, 1.37 whip. And then Alex Young, who I'm a big fan of Alex Young. He's one of the reasons why I'm betting on the Diamondbacks uh, today. 4.5 ERA, 6.03 FIP, 1.167 WHIP. So not great numbers, pretty pretty similar numbers to Marquez. Um, but let's get into this game right now. Now this is in Arizona. It's not uh, it's not in Colorado. And the reason why I bring this up is because of Coors Field, which is obviously the Rockies' home field. You have to take. Coors Field into consideration every time you're betting on the Rockies. Whether they're at home or even if they're on the road, you need to take into account that their home field is in Colorado. So with the high elevation, the ball travels a lot quicker. You guys probably know this already. So if you're going to bet on the Rockies when they're on the road, you need to look at just their away splits. So you can break up the splits between home and away. Don't put a lot of consideration into their home splits when they're playing on the road uh, because obviously they're not in Colorado. 
And also another thing I'll say about Coors Field, don't think you're, you know, pulling the wool over a sportsbook's eyes by betting on the over when a game's in Colorado. Sportsbooks obviously know that, the, that it's in Colorado and that is baked into the line. That's, I mean, that's why you see the over-under in uh, Rockies home games are like usually double digits, uh, if not like 11 or 12. So don't automatically assume an over is going to hit. Actually, the unders have been hitting quite a bit in Colorado home games, but this is not a Colorado home game. Uh, they're on the road, and on the road this season, they're 26th in batting average and 26th in OPS versus left-handed pitcher pitchers. So with Alex Young being a lefty, that favors the Diamondbacks in the first five innings. I'm a big Alex Young fan. Like I said, I, I think he's going to turn it on. He's been a little bit of a slower start this year compared to last season. Uh, but I think he's going to turn it on. I think now is a good time to kind of buy low on Alex Young. So that's why I'm going to take them in the first five innings. Big reason why I'm not going to take this full game is because, like I said, home and away splits. Rockies bullpen ERA 29th at home, but on the road, they're third. Huge difference. I mean, that just paints the picture right there why you need to split up home and away splits when you're betting on the Rockies. So their bullpen has been very good on the road, so uh, I don't want to take the full game because the Diamondbacks' uh, bullpen ERA is 21st. So Rockies have a pretty significant bullpen ERA advantage in this game, I believe. So I'm just going to take them in the first five innings. I'm going to back my guy Alex Young and that left-handed pitch that he has against the Rockies' offense. Then my third pick in tonight's Major League Baseball action, I'm going with another total bet. It's the Dodgers. It's the Giants. I'm going to take the over 9. This one's also at minus 115. Julio Urias getting the start for the Dodgers. He's a lefty, 2.74 ERA, 3.62 FIP, and then a 1.261 whip. Johnny Cueto gets the start for the Giants, 4.35 ERA, 4.01 FIP, 1.129 whip. Now, as far as offensive numbers go in this game, this is why I like the over. The Giants are actually hitting lefties very well, and Julio Urias is a lefty, as I mentioned. Giants are 6th in OPS versus left-handed pitchers, 2nd in runs scored versus left-handed pitchers, and then the Dodgers are obviously fantastic against righties. Dodgers, I wouldn't bet on them when they're facing a lefty, but Johnny Cueto is a righty, and Dodgers are 1st in OPS versus right-handed pitchers, 2nd in runs scored versus right-handed pitchers. Now, just a quick mention about Julio Urias. I mean, his numbers are pretty good. Like I said, 2.74 ERA. But if you've watched any of his games, I think those numbers are better than what he's been playing, especially the last few games, especially his last game. He only went 1.2 innings uh, against the Mariners in his last game. I believe it was the Mariners. He gave up four hits and a walk before getting yanked. Might be He might be due for a little bit of a blow-up game here, and it makes sense if it was going to be a blow-up game against a team that hits lefties well, and that's who the Giants are. Like I said, Giants 6th in OPS versus lefties, 2nd in runs scored. So I think Julio Urias may have a bit of a tough outing. Now, the reason why we're actually getting it at a decent number, it's, I mean, the over-under is only at 9. The Dodgers' bullpen. Obviously, first in bullpen ERA, which is a little bit of a concern. But the Giants are 27th in bullpen ERA. So I'm hoping the Giants just get, like, a couple runs against Urias in the first couple innings. And then the Dodgers can hit the over uh, with runs getting against Cueto first. And then once the Giants' bullpen uh, gets to the mound, they should be able to light them up as well. Um, So I'm expecting a a few runs from the Dodgers, especially with how well they've been hitting right-handed pitchers. If Johnny Cueto was a lefty, I probably wouldn't be placing this bet. 
So that's my third and final bet for tonight in the Major League Baseball action. The Dodgers-Giants over 9. And then I have one pick in the NHL. I also have a lean as well. But my actual pick that I have locked in, it's Game 2 in the Eastern Conference Semifinal between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Boston Bruins. is set as a pick em right now, minus 110 apiece. I'm going to take the Tampa Bay Lightning, minus 110. I have this locked in. Like I said, I actually think a little bit more money is going to come in on the Lightning. So by the time you're listening to this, you may not get it at a pick em. I mean, I might be wrong. Maybe you'll get it at even money. That'd be even better. But I got it locked in at minus 110. Lightning lost the first game, uh, game one, three to two. But I'm going to back them to even up the series tonight. They did lose the game, but they had a higher 5-on-5 Corsi percentage at 53.54%. And they had more 5-on-5 high danger scoring chances. They had 11. Boston had 9. And also, when you're looking at the stats for the entire playoffs, since they restarted, you know, the the play-in games, the round robin, and then the first round of the the playoffs, Lightning are second in Corsi percentage next to the Golden Knights. Their 5-on-5 Corsi percentage so far these playoffs is 57.33%, which is very good. They're also third in high-danger scoring chances. So I really just need them to convert a few goals against Yaroslav Halak, who has been hot He's uh, since Tuka Rask has left the bubble. He's been undefeated, I'm pretty sure, right? Bruins are 3-0 or 4-0 since Rask left the bubble, and Halak took over, I'm pretty sure. Um, so he's been playing well. I kind of expected him to. He's one of the best backup goalies in the league. But regardless, I, I think the Lightning is a good price there at a pick judging by some of their underlying stats. Now, I do need them to stay out of, their bo- uh, out of the penalty box in this game. Their penalty kill has not been very good. But regardless, love them as a pick to even up the series. So that's my one and only NHL bet for tonight is Lightning minus 110 versus the Boston Bruins. So there you go. Those are my take takes for the Tuesday, August 25th sports betting action. Let's move on to the PGA Tour event this week, the BMW Championship. Really quick, before we get into that, I'll just recap the Northern Trust. Uh, I only watched Thursday's round because, like I mentioned, I left Friday morning for that little uh, getaway weekend. So I didn't catch the last three rounds. Obviously, Dustin Johnson tore it up. 30 under, absolutely insane. He was one off tying the record for the lowest score in a PGA Tour tournament, which was 31 under, I believe. Um, as far as round bets went, if you followed any of my round bets on Twitter, I went 4-0, and a little sweep with my Thursday round bets, and then I went 0-4 on Friday. So I swept, and then I got reverse swept. Gambler giveth, gambler taketh away. That is absolutely classic. But to be fair, I still finished up money between Thursday's and Friday's round bets because a few of my plays on Thursday's were plus money. So even though I went 4-0 and then 0-4, I walked away with a very slight profit, so I'll take that. Now, as far as my alt-rights, the picks that I gave out on last week's show, uh, John Rom top 5 and top 10. He was top 5 basically all day on Sunday. And then Scotty Scheffler birdied the 18th hole to then push John Rom to tie for 6th. So that was a little bit of a bad beat there. But uh, we still got the John Rom top 10 to cash at plus 125. Hideki Matsuyama finished tied for 29th, so close but no cigar in my top 5 and top 20 with him. Well, not really close top 5, but top 20 was close. Uh, he would have been a decent selection for any of you who picked him for your daily fantasy lineups. I know some of you listen to my three picks and then put you, put them in your daily fantasy lineups. But Matsuyama would have been a pretty solid choice for that. Uh, but as far as outrights, he went 0-2 for me there. Now, Victor Hovland, though, I picked him top 20. He did finish tied for 18th, so I did hit uh, Victor Hovland, uh, my top 20 bet, plus 185, so that cashed. So, not terrible uh, as far as my bets for the Northern Trust. 
could have been better, but I've had a lot worse weekends, that's for sure. Now let's move on to the BMW Championship. If you don't know, this is the second round of the FedEx Cup playoffs. It is the top 70 golfers in the FedEx Cup standing, so a smaller field, only 70 golfers, which means there's no cut. So you don't need to worry about the, any golfer that you're betting on missing the cut. They're all going to make the cut. They'll all be playing all four rounds unless, of course, they withdraw uh, with an injury or something. So it's being played at the North Course at Olympia Fields Country Club. The last PGA Tour event that was hosted at the North Course at Olympia Fields Country Club, which is in Illinois, if any of you care, was the 2003 U.S. Open. Uh, Jim Furyk won that event, but this was 17 years ago. So we're going into this event completely blind. This is actually very similar to the PGA Championship a couple weekends ago that we went into completely blind. So going into this event blind. So I did my best to research as much as I could, read as many other articles, watch some videos. Do I looked at the course flyovers, looked at the scorecard. But at the end of the day, we don't have previous PGA Tour st uh, statistics or numbers to go off of. So we are going a little bit blind. But it did actually work out for us for the PGA Championship. I had a great weekend of betting there at TPC Harding Park, and we went into that blind. So hopefully have some same success this weekend. One thing to note about recent events, though, I did mention the last PGA Tour event was the 2003 U.S. Open here. But the 2015 U.S. Amateur Championship was hosted here, which is only five years ago. And the winner of that event, Bryson DeChambeau, the scientist himself. So that's worth noting. I'll get into that a little bit as well. And also uh, another little tidbit here that I that I read somewhere. Ricky Fowler actually holds the course record here. The course record is apparently 63, and he holds the course record. Or at least he holds a share of the course record. record. VJ Singh also shot a 63 here. Obviously, VJ Singh isn't competing this weekend, but just a little side note, I actually think VJ Singh is one of the most underrated golfers in PJ Tour history. He was kind of overshadowed because really the peak of his career was right when Tiger Woods uh, was coming up and everyone just knew about Tiger. But Vijay Singh, during the Tiger Woods era, while Tiger Woods was winning all those tournaments, still had 34 PGA Tour wins, including three majors. And actually, I've heard Tiger Woods talk about Vijay Singh, and he actually thinks Vijay Singh was always his biggest competition. You would have thought it would have been like Phil Mickelson or maybe even Ernie Els, but he said Vijay Singh was always the guy who pushed him to play as best as he could. So, little side note, kind of irrelevant to this weekend, but I'm a big Vijay Singh guy, and he holds the course record with Ricky Fowler at 63. So, the North course is a par 70 course. And it measures 7,353 yards, which is actually very long for a par 70 course. And obviously the top 30 players after this weekend will advance to the Tour Championship next weekend for the FedEx Cup. Now just because it is a long course, driving distance may not necessarily be the most important thing here, as there are quite a few dog legs. So they're not all just straight holes where guys can just completely bomb it down the middle, but... I mean, we never really know with the new breed of uh, drivers, especially like Bryson DeChambeau, they may be able to get aggressive, cut the dog legs off over the trees, and they may be able to gouge the course. Like I said, we're going in blind, so I don't really know how these long hitters are going to be able to react to it. But it is worth noting, just because it's a long course doesn't necessarily mean it's definitely going to be driving distance that's going to be important. Uh, I mean, one thing to signify that is, like I said, the 2003 U.S. Open, the winner of that was Jim Furyk. 
and Jim Furyk, if you look up the dictionary definition of, an, of just an accurate, short, but consistent player, it's Jim Furyk. He is not a long hitter, but he's extremely accurate off the tee and extremely accurate with his irons, and that won him the 2003 U.S. Open. So don't necessarily think that distance is going to be the key factor this weekend, despite it being a very long course. Also, the greens here are apparently pretty slippery, so putting is going to be important this weekend. We're going to have to look at good putters. Now let's look at top five odds. That can be top six odds to win the BMW Championship. Dustin Johnson, obviously, uh, is the favorite right now, plus 800. That's not surprising. He just took over the number one golfer in the world. Uh, That's what he's ranked now, is number one golfer in the world. He just won last weekend. 8-1, 8-1, to one. I would never bet on a golfer at 8-1 to one to win a tournament, pre-tournament. Uh, wait till Friday, wait till Saturday, see if you can get some better odds on him. 8-1 to one's a little too short for me to bet on him. John Rahm comes next, 10-1. to one. And then we have Bryson DeChambeau and Justin Thomas at 12-1. to one. And then we have Rory McIlroy and Xander Shoffley at 16-1. to one. I'm a little bit surprised Xander Shoffley keeps getting put in these uh, top 5, top 6 odds recently, but there you have it. He's tied with Rory McIlroy at 16-1. to one. So my 5 key stats that I have personally identified for the BMW Championship, let's get into those right now. I'm going to start with strokes gained off the tee. So looking at the golf course, it's kind of hard to determine if length will be more valuable than distance. Like I mentioned, both will have their advantages in different ways this weekend, in my opinion. So in saying that, let's just look at strokes gained off the tee to just get a general feel for how these golfers are off the tee, whether they're good with distance or whether they're good with accuracy. Preferably, we want both this weekend, in my opinion. So strokes gained off the tee going to be the number one stat. Then we're going to look at greens and regulation percentage. Since we're substituting ball striking this week for a little bit of a more specific look at off the tee play, uh, let's add in greens and regulation to make sure we bet on guys who can get to the green with a chance to putt for birdie. Then we're going to look at proximity to the hole from 175 to 200 yards out. So with this course being as long as it is, a lot of approach shots onto the green are going to be from this distance. Uh, there's going to be very few holes that are players are just going to be left with a short iron or a wedge to the hole. Uh, golfers mid and long irons will get a lot of use this weekend so let's look at how close golfers will be able to stick it to the pin from that 175 to 200 yard distance next we have par 4 scoring as i've said in the past anytime we're handicapping a par 70 course we want to look at par 4 scoring because if it's a par 70 that means that 12 of the 18 holes are par 4s as opposed to a par 72 event where 10 of the 18 holes are par 4, so two extra par 4s in a par 70 course. So we're going to look at par 4 scoring. Then finally, strokes gained putting. For this week, the past couple weeks I haven't used it as an important or a key stat, but this week it is. With the greens being apparently as slippery and as uh, as curvy as the greens at the north course are, uh, I think it's going to be a key stat this week, and we definitely want guys that are good with their flat sticks, so let's look at strokes gained putting. So there you go. That's my course breakdown and my key stats for the BMW Championship. Let's get into my picks. My first pick is going to be a guy who I've already mentioned on this episode. It's going to be Bryson DeChambeau. That's right. I'm back on DeChambeau once again. So he's 12-1 to to win the whole thing, but I'm going to take him top 5 and top 10. 
Uh, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, uh, I record this on Monday night, so uh, as of Monday, top 5, top 10, and top 20 odds aren't released. So I don't know exactly what they are, but I have a general idea what they're going to be based on what their odds are to win. So my first pick is going to be Bryson DeChambeau, top 5, and top 10. Like I mentioned just a couple minutes ago, he won here in 2015 at the U.S. Amateur Championship, so he has an advantage that most other guys on tour will not have this weekend, and that is that he knows the course. He's played here, he's won here, he knows the holes, so hopefully he can use that to his advantage. I am kind of interested to see how the new Bryson DeChambeau is going to handle this course, uh, how he's going to handle the tee shots. Is he going to get aggressive off the tee shots? Is he going to try to cut off some of the dog legs by putting his driver over the trees? Or is he just going to play it more conventionally and just kind of lay it up and be a little bit more accurate? So we don't really know the answer to that. But if he does get aggressive off the tee, and if he is successful doing that, I think he's going to have a very good weekend. So let's look at his stats uh, or his numbers for the five key stats I've laid out. Strokes gained off the tee. He is first this season. Uh, which is not really surprising, uh, given how good his driver has been. Greens in regulation, he is 20th. Proximity from 175 to 200 yards out, he's tied for 21st. Now, I will say that stat may not apply to DeChambeau because if he does decide to get extremely aggressive with his driver, he's going to be one of the only guys this weekend who will have wedge shots and short irons uh, for his approaches onto the greens. He may not have a lot of mid and long iron shots. It really depends on how aggressive he wants to get off the tee. So uh, that stat may not apply to him, but regardless, he is tied for 21st in it, so he's still good in that stat. Par 4 scoring, he is 2nd, and then strokes gained putting, he is 7th. So that's my first pick, Bryson, the scientist DeChambeau. My second pick is a guy who I actually was kind of surprised to see his odds at where they're at, and that's Paul Casey, the Englishman. Paul Casey, 66-1 to 1 to win, or plus 6,600 if you like American odds. I'm going to take him top 10, and I'm going to take him top 20. So like I said, I mean, he tied for second. He's tied for second at the PGA Championship a couple weeks ago, so I'm a little bit surprised to see his odds of where they're at. Uh, but to be fair, uh, the past couple weeks he did finish, I think it was like somewhere in the 60s in both tournaments the last two weeks. That's probably why we're getting a, we're getting a little bit better value on him this week. But his numbers, uh, as they line up with my key stats, are actually pretty good. So strokes gained off the tee, he is 15th. Greens in regulation, he's 11th. Proximity from 175 to 200 yards out, he's tied for 9th. Par 4 scoring, he's tied for 19th. And then strokes gained putting, he's 183rd. So putting is obviously his one weakness, but the other four stats are very good, top 20 in all of them. So um, I expect him to have a good weekend. So I like him in that price at 66 to 1, but I'm going to take him top 10 and top 20. Then my third and final pick for the BMW Championship, I'm going to take someone who's completely off the board. Uh, complete dark horse this weekend. Might be a good pick for you guys who play your daily fantasy lineups. It's going to be Taylor Gooch. He's 200-1 to 1 to win the whole thing. Also, side note, I mean, that's got to be one of the most unfortunate name last names in sports history. Gooch. <laughs> Yikes. 200-1, uh, to 1, though, I love, I love that value there. I'm going to take him top 20. One of the main reasons why I like him is great form recently. He's finished in the top 25 in four of his last six events, including tied for 18th at last weekend's Northern Trust, so he's hitting his stride. So 
uh, going to be pretty good payday if he can just sneak into the top 20 again this weekend. Uh, let's take a look at his number of strokes gained off the tee. He is 119th. That would be his one weak spot if he had one, but greens and regulation, 7th. Proximity from 175 to 200 yards out, he's tied for 58th. Power 4 scoring, he's tied for 67th. And then finally, strokes gained putting, he's 38th. So that's his biggest strength is his putting with the flat stick. He doesn't really have any big weak spots. Uh, weak, weak spots. Even his worst strokes gained off the tee, 119th, that's still in the top 50% on tour. The other stats are like more he's in like the top 60% or top 70%. So pretty well-rounded guy, 201 odds. I mean, I like him a lot this weekend, especially with how he's played well. So Taylor Gooch, my third pick for the BMW Championship. There you have it. That's my course breakdown, my key stats, and my picks for this weekend's BMW Championship. Uh, and then we got the Tour Championship next week. So that's going to be exciting because of how different that tournament is with how uh, guys uh, have certain scores right off uh, opening tee shot on Thursday. But we'll get into that next week. That's my breakdown for the BMW Championship. I got one more sport that I'm going to break down, and that's the UFC. Just another fight night card this weekend. Anthony Smith against Alexander Rakic. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. You guys know me. I'm going to butcher last name. So I'm mispronouncing Rakic, but that's what I'm going to go with. So uh, don't hate. I know I'm bad. I know I can't pronounce names. Also, something else I'm bad in is just UFC betting in general. Yikes, guys. I haven't won a UFC bet since Nong. At least that's what it feels like. Uh, last weekend uh, for the UFC Fight Night card, my two picks were OSP and then Mun Pedro Munhos by finish. OSP Fight and Fairness did get canceled last minute. He got the Rona. Uh, can't fight when you have the coronavirus in the middle of a pandemic. So that fight got canceled. Uh, Pedro Munhos I picked to finish inside the distance. Uh, and then, of course, I mean, even when I bet on a minus 300-plus favorite, even he still loses. That's how cold I am. Frankie Edgar won at, like, plus 205. So I hope you guys faded my uh, pick for the main event last weekend. You had a nice little uh, nice little cash if you did. Really, at this point with how bad my UFC bets, I'm doing a service for you guys. I'm so bad that I'm almost good. All you need to do is do the opposite of my picks and you will be rich in the UFC. So, like I said, I'm doing you guys a service by being as bad as I am. So please fade me. I would fade myself. But like I talked about in last week's episode, you can't fade yourself. It creates a paradox that makes the world collapse. So I will, I've handicapped the co-main and main event this weekend, but I suggest you bet the opposite of me. So let's get into those picks right now. Co-main event, Robbie Lawler plus 190 versus Neil Magny at minus 240. I love, 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 love. I love Robbie Lawler at plus 190 as an underdog here. I think we're getting some recent record bias against him. He's 1-4 in his last five fights, but all of his losses have come from similar-styled opponents. Colby Covington, Ben Askren, Rafael Dos Anjos, and Tyron Woodley. They're all guys who are going to wrestle you, going to grind you, going to pressure, pressure you up against the cage, nullify the opponent's striking, which is the exact strategy you need against Lawler. Now, I mean, I will say, before you guys yell at me through your phones or whatever you're listening to this on, I know Tyron Woodley knocked Lawler out, so he didn't exactly just grind him out and wrestle him, but... That was a different Tyron Woodley, so let's kind of put that in the back pocket there. But the other three guys, all guys who wrestled him, who kind of grinded him out. Askren, once again, finished him, but he finished him with a submission that he used through his wrestling. 
Now, Neil Magny can have a similar style as those guys. He can kind of grind you out. He can use his res wrestling. He can push you up against the cage. But I don't think he has the strength as the other guys like Covington and Dos Anjos do. Uh, I think Lawler is going to be able to get out of a lot of those compromising commission, uh, positions against Neil Magny. If it does turn into a stand-up fight, I think Lawler has the advantage, especially with his power. Um, that plus 190 price, I think that's fantastic. Also, what has Robbie Lawler done to piss off the UFC matchmaker? He's been getting some brutal stylistic matchups recently. Who I don't even know who who is the UFC matchmaker. No, he used to be uh, Sean Shelby a couple years or for the longest time, uh, but I think he stopped uh, doing the uh, being the matchup guy a year or two ago. So I don't know who the current guy is, but he clearly doesn't like Robbie Lawler because he's giving him some brutal stylistic matchups. But like I said, but uh, with that being said, plus one ninety, I think Lawler has a lot of value there at that price as an underdog. Uh, it's hard to count out Robbie Lawler with uh, how, how hard that guy can hit. So Lawler plus 190 at almost 2-1 to one is going to be my pick in the, in the co-main event. In the main event, we have Anthony Smith plus 230 against Alexander Rakic minus 300. When I first looked at the odds, I was actually kind of surprised to see Anthony Smith at that price. But once I kind of looked into it and did my research and thought about it a little bit more, it kind of makes sense. Uh, if both guys are coming off losses, Anthony Smith got almost mauled to death by Glover Teixeira back in May. Alexander Rakic lost to Vulcan Ozdemir by split decision. Reason why the odds kind of make sense. I don't think Anthony Smith is giving himself enough time to recover between that brutal, brutal loss to Glover just, what, three months ago? May to June, so June, July, yeah, three months ago. He literally got his neat teeth knocked out. It was one of those fights that by the end of it, he kind of had to look away because it was nasty. His corner, there was an argument, his corner should have stopped it after the fourth round. And then I believe it was the fifth round that Glover ended up getting the finish. But it was it was a rough scene. After a beating like that, you've got to take almost a year off, in my opinion. Not even necessarily to physically recover fully, but to psychologically recover, that's going to take a little bit as well. I don't want to devalue Anthony Smith. He's a warrior. He's as tough as they come, but... I don't know. I don't know. Three three months is a big enough layoff, especially when you're going up against a guy who's an absolute knockout artist. And Rakic, Rakic, Rakic. Bet here, in my opinion, is Rakic by KO. May even want to do just like an under one and a half rounds bet, or even Rakic in the first round if you want to get really aggressive. But I think I mean the value has got to lie there. So my pick: Rakic by KO and Robbie Lawler. So what that means to you guys, to you ladies and gentlemen out there, shout out to the 4% females that download the podcast. I'm looking at the demographics. I see you. Also, I'm big in Chicago. I don't know what it is about Chicago, Illinois. I'm big in Illinois. Shout out. Go Blackhawks. Uh, and never mind, the Blackhawks are done. Go Indians. So with my picks being what they are, <laughs> I digress. You should probably take Anthony Smith and Neil, Neil Magny. Parlay those two, you'll get a nice little payday. You're welcome for being as bad as I am. But that's it. That concludes the sports betting portion of the Bacon Bets podcast, the August 25th episode. Before I get into talking about the Boston sports teams, I'm going to do a little prayer. Now, before you shut it off, it's not an actual like Christian, you know, pray to an invisible man in the clouds kind of prayer. Uh, little prayer to our guy Gamblor or Lady Gamblor. 
he's uh, it's 2020. Gambler is uh, binary. I'm not religious. I was raised Catholic. Peace be with you. But in my in my degenerate days, the only God who I pray to, the only God, the one true God in my opinion, is the God named Gambler. So I wrote a little prayer for him to help us as we head into this week of sports betting. Now with NFL starting in a couple of weeks, we're going to have all four professional sports leagues going on at once. If we've ever needed Gambler in our lives, now is the time. So I'm going to say this prayer, learn it, memorize it. We're going to say it in the upcoming episodes. Let's say it together. Let's bring Gambler's good, uh, good wishes, bring him in our good graces. We need him. So bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's pray. Gambler, oh Gambler, please bless our bets this week and save us from bad beats. Allow our wins to outweigh our losses and our tilt bets to be successful. May our bankrolls grow and our Twitter trolls stay silent. We ask that you giveth more than you taketh. Gambler, oh Gambler, be with us this week. Amen. Should I say amen or is that a Christian thing to say? Maybe I'll cut the amen part. In the unity of the holy gambler. I started talking about gambler. Some guy made a gambler Twitter account. Kind of funny. But we need him this week. Memorize that prayer. We're going to say it every week moving forward and into the football season. We need gambler in our corner, people. Say your prayers. All right, let's get into the last portion of the podcast here, the last 10 minutes or so. Uh, before we call it a night, before we call it a week. I need to talk to you guys about why I hate Boston sports teams. Now, being that I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan and Atlanta Falcons fan, those are the two diehard teams that I'm uh, I'm a fan of. Um, it's kind of obvious why I don't like Boston sports teams, but I figured I'd get into it a little bit more because it's actually a little bit of a longer history I have with Boston sports teams. My hatred of Boston sports teams actually date back to February 3rd, 2002. What happened on that day? That was actually the Super Bowl that the Patriots beat the St. Louis Rams back when they were in St. Louis. So why that day, you might ask? Well, quick backstory, like I actually, I mean, this kind of ties into the whole Catholicism thing. Uh, I had I lived in a pretty strict household living up. I had a bedtime. It was a pretty early bedtime. Uh, I remember on Saturdays, I could watch the Toronto Maple Leafs. I could watch their first period of the game. I could watch Coach's Corner with Don Cherry, and then I had to go to bed. So very, very strict bedtime. Very rare that I was allowed to stay up past my bedtime. Very rare. Well, on February 3rd, 2002, I was allowed to stay up past my bedtime. He gave me permission to stay up past my bedtime to watch the Super Bowl because my dad was a diehard Rams fan, is still a diehard Rams fan. He He started cheering for the Rams back... Uh, when they were originally in L.A., uh, back in the Eric Dickerson days. I don't know why. I mean, I'm, I'm in the Canadian East Coast, but my dad, and so my dad grew up here as well, but he liked L.A. teams. He was a Dodgers fan before the Blue Jays existed, and he liked the L.A. Rams. Don't know why he liked L.A. teams, but it is what it is. Big Rams fan, um, regardless, even when they moved to St. Louis, obviously, he used to live Rams fan. So 
with the Rams being the Super Bowl, he allowed me to stay up and watch the Super Bowl with him, which is huge to me. I was excited. It's very, it was very rare I got to stay up and watch a full sporting event. So in February 2002, I was allowed to. This is before I cheered for the Falcons. This is when I could, you know, barely knew what was going on with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I was only nine years old. And during the game, Rams, I know, were supposed to win. And during the game, it wasn't going quite as well as we thought we would. And I remember it plain as day. My dad said something that I still remember. And don't forget, this is way before the whole Spygate issue came out to light. Spygate came out as, as a debate that people talked about uh, and that proof came out of it. Uh, not until when, like 2009, 2010. So this was actually when it was ongoing, and I'll never forget this. I remember my dad saying, "Gee, it looks seems like the Patriots know what the Rams are doing before they do it." Now that we know, you know, 18 years later, we know why. The Patriots obviously went on; they won that game. And I remember when the game was over, when Adam Vinatieri hit the kick. I remember my dad just staring at the TV. In silence. He didn't say a word. I mean, normally at this point, the few times that I was allowed to stay up past my bedtime and, you know, watch the watch a sporting event at the end of the go, all right, buddy, time to go to bed, head to bed. Uh, he didn't say anything. He didn't, he wasn't, didn't seem happy. He didn't seem, he didn't get angry. He just stared in silence. I got up at nine years old and just put myself to bed. <laughs> I knew it was time to, for bed, so I went to bed. My dad was shocked. He was stunned. The Patriots beat the Rams in one of the biggest Super Bowl upsets of all time. That planted the seed that I didn't like the New England Patriots. Fast forward to May 13th, 2013. And of course, between February 3rd, 2002 and May 13th, 2013, my hatred for Boston sports teams grew. They won championships in basically every single professional sports leagues. Uh, while well, the teams I cheered for lost, but on May 13th, 2013, for any hockey fans out there, you know that was a day that the Leafs blew a 4-1 to lead in Game 7 of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs against the Bruins. They're up 4-1, blew it, lost in overtime in Game 7, got eliminated from the playoffs against the Bruins. Now, I, my dad, obviously a big Leafs fan as well, my mom is actually a diehard Leafs fan as well. She watches just as many, if not Leafs games, as myself and my dad do. Um, big thing that sticks out to my mind about that is I remember when the Bruins tied it up to go to overtime, my mom couldn't even watch the overtime. She went out on the front porch and just <laughs> sat in the chair on the front porch. I don't know, she might have like smoked a cigarette or something. She was stressed out. She knew what was going to happen. She just went out there and just didn't even watch the game. She knew it was over. She, as soon as the Bruins tied it up, she said, well, the Leafs lose. And she went and uh, just out in the front porch and didn't watch the overtime. And if you're a Leafs fan watching this, you know the feeling. Because especially by now, uh, we know that the Leafs are going to blow it. Just like they did uh, against the Blue Jackets this year. And that was to the Bruins. Another Boston sports teams. Fucking Brad Marchand. That big-nosed bastard. Fast forward to the next big event in my life in relation to the Boston sports teams. Now, don't forget, within the next few years, the Bruins eliminated the Maple Leafs a couple other times in the playoffs. Um, they won the Cup in 2011, which is before the Game 7, so they won a Cup in this stretch as well. But now we're going to move forward to February 5th, 2017. The legendary, infamous, in my opinion, 28-3 game. I'll never forget, I was watching it at a friend's house. There's probably six to eight of us watching it. 
And now me being a Maple Leafs fan and me being a Falcons fan and this being against a Boston sports team. I remember when they went up 28-3, to what was it, third quarter, like two minutes left, they still had that lead. I remember, and I swear to God, you would think most Falcons fans were, you know, jumping for joy, the game's over, we're Super Bowl champs. The guys I was watching with said, okay, and the game's over, the Falcons are going to win. I swear to God, when it was 28-3, to I told them it wasn't over yet. I've been there too many times. Teams I cheer for have blown too many leads. We're going up against the goddamn New England Patriots. I said we needed one more score to seal it, but it's not over yet. Anything could happen. I was still nervous. I was still pacing back and forth. I was nervous at 28-3. I never once thought the game was over. And of course, we all know what happened. The Patriots came back to win. And much like when my mom didn't watch the overtime in Game 7 on May 13th, 2013 against the Bruins, I hardly watched the overtime against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. As soon as the coin toss happened and the Patriots won the coin toss and they were going to receive the ball, I started packing up my stuff. I went from sitting on the couch watching the game to I just started, you know, uh, putting away the beer bottles, cleaning up the dishes of the food that I brought, you know, packing my bag, putting on my coat. And I was standing by the door with my jacket on, with my shoes on, with my backpack on, uh, standing by the door all ready to go. And when, who was it who scored, who scored the touchdown for the Patriots? James White, I think. Sony Michelle, I don't know. Patriots go through fucking running backs like nothing. So uh, some, whatever running back scored in overtime, when he, as soon as he crossed the goal line, I just opened the door and left. I had all my stuff, I left. I knew it was going to happen as soon as I won the coin toss. As soon as he crossed the goal line, I turned around and left. I'll never forget that night. I went back to my apartment. I lived by myself. I, and I remember when I got back to my apartment, I just sat down in my chair. I sat down in my chair and just kept repeating that I couldn't believe it. I can't believe it, I kept saying. What just happened? What? I, what? How? How? I can't believe it. How? What happened? How? How? I can't believe it. Now, going into the game, I didn't think the Falcons were going to win. I was mentally and emotionally prepared for us to lose. I thought, okay, we had a good run. We made it to the Super Bowl. We're going to lose against my least favorite team, but whatever. At least I get to watch my team in the Super Bowl. Not only did we lose, though, because, I mean, one team loses every year in the Super Bowl, but what they had to do was allow the Patriots to have the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history. And now to this day, three years later, and I know it's something that I'm still going to have have to live with into, for the rest of my life. I might be 90 years old. People will still make 28-3 to 3 jokes to me. It's inevitable. And that's the part that hurt the most. It wasn't that we lost. It was how we lost. If we just lost a normal game, people would have forgot about it, you know, by the time the next Super Bowl happened. But I still, now, every single year, almost weekly, I get 28 to 3 chirps. I turn on Sports Center. I turn on NFL Network. They show replays of the game. I can't escape it. Every Super Bowl leading up, they'll talk about that game. 28 to 3. There's memes. I can't, and I'll never escape it until maybe somehow, if the Falcons somehow win the Super Bowl, then I'll be able to, then they'll, they'll overcome that, and maybe I'll get past it to that point. But until they do, and God knows, I probably never will. I have to live with 28 to 3. As a fan, I have to bear that burden, which kills me. So there I was, in silence, repeating the same thing over and over, much like my dad did back in February 3rd, 2002, when his Rams lost to the Patriots. Much, 
I didn't watch the overtime, much like my mom didn't when the Maple Leafs blew the 4-1 lead to the Bruins on May 13th, 2013 in Game 7. I am now doing both, similar to both those things, on May on February 5th, 2017. So this isn't even a personal vendetta against Boston sports teams. This runs through my family. This is family deep. That's gone back to over two, or almost two decades now. Fuck Boston sports teams. They are now my least favorite teams in every single league. And also, as a little side note, I didn't mention it, but my dad also had to watch his Rams lose to the Patriots again in the Super Bowl. Well, <laughs> two years ago, was it two years after the my Falcons loss? He then had to live through his Rams losing to the Patriots again. This is family deep, people. This is not just me. I have to watch my own mother and father suffer along with me. Do you know what that feels like? Do you know what that feels like? In my lifetime, I was born in 1992. No team I cheer for has won a championship. In fairness, I guess you could say the Blue Jays won a championship when I was like eight months old. I don't think that counts, though. I wasn't exactly a big Blue Jays fan at eight months old. Uh, NBA, I kind of cheer for the Heat, so they won a couple championships. But, I mean, I, I don't really fucking care about the Heat. I can name like three guys on the team right now. So I've gone through my entire life without seeing any of my teams win a championship. While Boston fans, if you're a Boston fan, I looked it up. With Since 1992, you've watched your, your Boston teams win 12 titles. While in my entire lifetime, I've seen nothing but heartbreak. And most of that heartbreak has come to you motherfuckers. 12 titles in your lifetime. If you're a Boston sports fan. 12! That's not fair! While I get my heart ripped out of my chest every single year, you guys have 12? It almost doesn't, it must not even feel good by the time you win your 12th title. And now Boston is once again in the Eastern Conference semifinals, up 1 0 on the Lightning. The Boston might, Boston might, might get a fucking other one! They might get another one! Give it up! Let us win a championship! One time, one year! Give my Maple Leafs or Falcons a championship! Please! Please! Fuck Boston sports teams. So there's my rant about Boston sports teams. This is this is family deep. This goes back to 2002 when I was nine years old. I'm now almost 28. Almost 20 years of watching Boston fucking break mine and my family's heart year in and year out. This has been the August 25th episode of the Bacon Bets podcast. <laughs> ah, give me a win. Please subscribe, rate, review the podcast, tell your friends. Tell your Boston fans to listen to this so they can feel what it what it's like to be on the other side. How did I choose they, they like I said eh. I chose the team, the Falcons the Falcons team I'm already Maple Leafs so I become a Falcons fan and Boston sports teams fucking haunt me like across different leagues. Jesus. Subscribe, rate, review, donate if you feel like. Donation option is in the description. <laughs> and I'll be back next week. We'll get into some NFL stuff next week on next week's show. Thank you all for listening. Take care of yourselves. I love you all, and best of luck with your bets this week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.